everybody. Happy Sunday. Today is a special Sunday. It is the birthday of our worship pastor, John Hodges. John, are you in this room? Like the rest of the pastoral team, he attends one service and then skips out for the second. And so we can't sing happy birthday to him because he won't hear. And so my request to you is walk up and say, happy birthday, John. He's a gift to us. Wish him a happy birthday. So my name is Pete. I'm a pastor here. We get to start a new series today. I really love this graphic. It's like electric rainbow Warhol Jesus. And uh, what this series is going to be about is the seven times in Scripture where Jesus says, I am, and then he fills in the blank. And one of the things the Bible tells us is that Jesus perfectly reveals the nature of God. I don't know what your picture of God is, but what the Bible says is that if it's different than Jesus, then it's actually off-center, and that we're to look to Jesus for who God is. And so this stuff that Jesus says about who he is, that's the stuff that tells us who God is. And I get to start today with Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, and I love this one. It's possible that I lead our preaching team, and so I got to pick, right? Uh, I'm not a bread guy, but when I think about fresh-baked bread right out of the oven, that just makes me happy. My mom used to bake a lot when I was a kid, roughly every other day, and she would have bread dough rising on the counter, and when the timer went off, she would call her boys into the kitchen, and we would get to punch it down in a big bread bowl, and for some reason, that helps bread turn out good. And then she'd let it rise again and put it in a pan and bake it, and the loaf would come out dark brown, and the whole house would be full of the smell, and we would eat it hot with fresh honey and butter, and it was just delicious enough I can close my eyes and taste it today. Bread is the tangible product of human work. We can't make grain grow, that's God's work, right? But grain doesn't turn itself into bread. We have to do all kind of things to it first. There's harvesting and milling and getting all the ingredients to market. And then comes the fun part, putting the ingredients together, putting the dough in the oven, and pulling out a fresh loaf of homemade bread. Jesus could have compared himself to anything, but today he compares himself to a product made by people. And that really fits in with the Christian faith, which is all about God meeting humanity where we are. Think about our Lord. Jesus is the Son of God, but he takes on human form in order to be with us and teach us and do miracles on our behalf. Our Savior comes into the world as a human. Or think of our Bible. There are religions that claim their scripture was dictated by an angel or discovered in the wilderness, whole, without any human intervention. That's not how Christianity works. Our Bible is inspired by God and written by human hands. And most relevant today, think of communion, which I'll be talking about some more later. Jesus could have had us remember him through grapes and grains, made by God and received as creation. But instead, each of the elements is worked by human hands, changed into what it is by a winemaker or a baker, or in our case, because of our recovery uh, community, a juice maker, right? As Christians, we believe the world is made by God and the whole world is headed for redemption. And so, of course, God meets us not just in the gift of creation, but also in the work of human hands. And sometimes that work is delicious. God cares about the work that we put into the world, and God meets us in the results of our work. 
Now, we're going to be preaching from John 6 today. If you want to follow along, you can look it up in a Bible, or you can check out the verses on the screen behind me. To set up the story, John 6 opens with Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves and some fish. Jesus blesses what they've got, and suddenly there's enough for everybody and way more than enough. After they hand out food to all the people, there are basketfuls left over that they gather. They give away what they have, and they end up with more than they started with. That is kingdom math right there, right? Then in verses 14 to 21, Jesus slips away because the people want to force him to be their king, and he did not come here to be a political ruler. Can I get an amen, please? Jesus did not come here to be a political ruler. Is that relevant this year? Anybody? Okay. And so, because he has slept away, the disciples are like, well, we better go somewhere else. They decide to row across the lake. And, of course, Jesus walks out to them on the water. And when they welcome him into the boat, they are immediately brought to the far shore. And that's where we're going to join the story today in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. And so when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And, you know, Jesus wasn't a show-off. I can tell you what I would have said. I walked across the water, <laughs> you know. But in 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. And so Jesus knows how we work. When someone feeds us for free, we're inclined to follow them, right? If someone hands you a nice meal and then walks over here, you're like, yeah, maybe I should go over there, right? Uh, and Jesus challenges these people who've eaten this miraculous food. He says, spend your energy seeking eternal life. Free food is nice, but living forever is way better. Verse 28, they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so this is referring to an Old Testament story that happened during the exodus from Egypt. The Jewish people had become a nation of slaves under the Pharaoh, and God set them free because that is what God wants for slaves. Amen? And they got lost wandering in the wilderness, but God fed them this miraculous bread called manna that would appear on the ground every night while they slept. And so they were sustained. They didn't farm. They didn't even have land yet. They were just journeying, but God still fed them bread every day. And I think it's hilarious how much the people in Jesus's time are like the people in the Old Testament stories, and it's possible. Uh, in the Exodus, the people saw God do huge, huge miracles, like parting the Red Sea so that they could walk across on dry land. But then 
so quickly they would get bored and start complaining, and then they would demand to see more miracles, just like these new disciples. And as a kid, I thought, wow, the Old Testament people are so dumb. And the New Testament people are pretty dumb. But now I'm 53, and I'm pretty sure the thumbs are involved with this kind of behavior. How many people here have experienced a miracle, but then you go through life and you really demand another one? Anybody besides me? Like, I've experienced crazy, miraculous stuff. But when I face new challenges, I'm like, I need you to do it again, God. Where's my new miracle, right? And so they tell Jesus, we need you to do another miracle for us to believe. And how about it's a cool one, like free bread every day, just like God gave to Moses, which seems ungrateful to me a little bit. Like Jesus just fed you all miraculously yesterday. And here's how Jesus responds in verse 32. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And so as we see with Jesus so often, when he does miracles, he follows it up with teaching. And he's teaching here. And this teaching is pointing to eternal and spiritual realities. And he lets them know the real bread of God isn't this temporary food. It is the Messiah, the Savior. In this culture, bread is the staple food. It's hard to explain staple foods to Americans because we just cheat by eating everyone else's foods. But most cultures have a food that you eat every day. If you ever talk, I've talked to so many Asian people who say, I have two stomachs, I have one for most food and one for rice. And if I don't have rice, I can't ever be full. I talked to people from Africa. We have the cornmeal. It could be called Nshima or Fufu or a few other names. But we have the cornmeal and we have everything else. And if we don't have both, we can't be full. A staple food is something that you eat every day in order to be satisfied and to live. And so what Jesus is saying here is, if you want real life, God has sent you bread from heaven that will sustain you in a way that you've never imagined. He continues in verse 35. They've asked him, give us bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. Never. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see the Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. And so here's our central claim about God. Jesus, who shows us God's nature, is the bread of of life. He's the one who, as we believe in him, feeds and sustains us day after day. Jesus gives eternal life, life that lasts past the last day. We had a funeral here yesterday. That's why we got to see Lucian running around being a five-year-old at a funeral, which is 
pretty amazing to see after he's been through as much stuff as he's been through. And the funeral was for one of my old youth group kids, um, which is horrible. It is so sad uh, to lose a kid, right? Now he's 31, maybe not a kid to you, but a kid to me. And I love that God has given us a way to continue to be together through all time. I love that I can say, I'm gonna see Nate again. I'm super excited about that. In the next verses, 41 to 45, the people start complaining about how we know Jesus, we grew up with you. How can you have come from heaven if we know Mary and Joseph, your parents? But Jesus tells them, God's gonna draw people to me and God's gonna teach people through me. And he claims again, I have seen God and I am sent by God. And that leads us to verse 47. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so the world may love, is my flesh. And then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. And so he says, anyone who believes has eternal life. Anyone who believes has eternal life. And what does it mean to believe? Jesus is pushing his listeners to a new definition of belief. Belief means accepting and receiving Jesus in our lives. Jesus, who was a human being and grew up near many of these people. Uh, second service and online only. Uh, I just want to remind us of a story about belief. The man comes to Jesus and says, I need you to heal my daughter. And Jesus says, anything is possible if you believe. Do you believe? And what's the man's response? Yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? heals that guy's daughter. A mix of belief and unbelief isn't a problem. It's not something Jesus turns away from. You're not doing it wrong. A mix of belief and unbelief is totally enough for Jesus Christ. All you need is a mustard seed in order for that thing to become as big as a whole mountain. That's what Jesus says. Jesus was an incredible teacher. He super rarely directly answered questions, you know? So many Christians, myself among them, you ask us a question about faith, and we like want to give the right answer or whatever, as if there's like right answers that help people. And uh, again and again, what Jesus did was push people toward wonder, toward exploring faith themselves, toward coming to God themselves. He told stories, he did miracles, he did teach directly sometime, sometimes, but a lot of times his teaching is like in this passage, it's kind of step by step um, helping us discover what he's talking about. And so he tells them again, I'm the bread of life. And if you eat of this bread, you'll live forever. But he doesn't explain it very much. And it sounds really weird to people. And they're picturing eating his actual body, which, ooh, right? Like, gross. We don't want to do that. And so let's pick up the story again in verse 53. And so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. 
For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I with them. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. And anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Now, this passage uh, has some theological disagreement about it, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about a couple sides, and I'm going to tell you where I land, and I'm going to spend most of my time there. Uh, the Catholic Church, which has been around a minute longer than the vineyard, okay, one or two minutes longer than the vineyard, you know, by 1,000 to 2,000 years. Um, the Catholic Church teaches that this passage is obviously about communion, and I happen to completely agree with that stance. Um, Jesus is saying here that communion, the presence of God with us in the bread and juice, connects us to the presence and power of God. And there are writings by the earliest church fathers who I looked up this week, Ignatius, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, and these indicate that the early church looked at this teaching this way too. The early church actually suffered from rumors that they were cannibals. Uh, in Roman culture, we have writings of scandalized Romans talking about these horrible Christians who are practicing cannibalism when they get together on Sundays, right? Which is, of course, not what they were doing. This passage informs my experience of communion every week. And maybe you'll notice some of our words anew as we receive communion today. We speak of feeding on Christ in our hearts through faith of receiving the body and the blood of Jesus. And I love that Jesus came to meet us in human form, left us a book written by humans, and then meets us in inhabiting the substance of human work, bread and wine. Some Protestant commentators feel like Jesus can't be referring to communion here because of Bible interpretation rules. And a generally good Bible interpretation rule is that the Bible doesn't mean something it didn't mean to its original hearers. That's like a helpful thing because, man, people do some weird stuff with the Bible, and that's not what the Bible's for, okay? Um, and so that's a helpful rule. And Jesus has not yet given them the practice of communion. He has not yet held the Last Supper, where in his final hours with his closest friends, he said, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so for some Protestants, how could this possibly be about communion? I'll just give you my answer. Communion's one of the two practices that have stuck with the Christian church for 2,000 years. We're doing this 2,000 years later. Do you think Jesus put some thought into that? Do you think Jesus knew what he was going to do? Do you think God has been intentional about giving us the practice of sharing communion together? I happen to think all those things are true. I happen to think that that's, that's probably what's going on here. Otherwise, what does it mean to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, right? I prefer communion. <laughs> I like that better, right? Jesus was known to teach difficult things, and a lot of times he didn't explain them after he taught them. He let people walk around and not understand them, and then he waited to see who came back to ask him about them. I like the idea that what Jesus is doing here is giving us the core teaching of communion, that eating from the bread and drinking from the cup is genuine communion with God and part of eternal life. And then later, he gave the practice that would be sustained and practiced around the world by so many. 
Some years ago, we read a book by Sarah Miles for Theology Pub. Theology Pub is our monthly book club. We read a book that has something to do with God, and then we meet at Lone Oak Grill, and we talk about that book. We ask three questions. What did you like? What didn't you like? What does this have to do with your life, right? And so, gosh, I would love to see you at Theology Pub. I would love to see you there. We've been at this for 12 plus years, so I have now read 150 some books just by showing up. And Sarah Miles had this powerful experience. She was a good liberal atheist on the West Coast. And then a friend invited her to church. And as she took communion, she had a supernatural revelation of God. And she became a Christian, which is not popular among good liberal atheists on the West Coast. And then she became a minister. And she's really given her life to feeding the homeless and ministering to people in the church. Communion has real power. I believe Jesus is telling us an important spiritual truth here, that as we eat and drink from Christ, our lives are changed. As we participate in the presence of Jesus, inhabiting the work of human hands, we are brought closer to eternity. We have not always practiced communion weekly here as part of worship. Uh, some vineyards don't do communion at all. But I have found that as we do so, year after year, communion has steadily moved up my list of powerful spiritual practices. A spiritual practice is something you do that changes who you become afterwards. And so every week we come here, we participate in worship together. Every week we come, we hear the word of God preached by our preaching team. And every week we take communion and we pray and we receive Jesus into our physical bodies again. And for me, that practice has gotten deeper and richer and more powerful with time. And I like the idea that it was so important to Jesus that he gave his followers some time to deal with the core ideas before he passed the practice on to them. Because Jesus looks ahead and he can plan for what's coming. Today, we're gonna wrap up with worship and we're going to have a chance to receive the bread of life again. We will again have a chance to confess together that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And we'll get to pray together and pray for each other. If you have any needs for prayer in the world, you can come and be prayed for by someone who will pray for blessing and good things for you. As we receive communion, uh, you know, we've changed how we do communion over the years, and I just want, don't get too attached to the way we do communion. It will definitely change at some point, heads up, okay? The way we do it currently is we offer the elements on three tables, and we invite you during the closing song of worship to come forward and receive them, and we invite you to do that with people. Um, if you've come alone, you can, of course, come alone every time. Lots of people do. Um, but if you've come with someone or if you know someone or have a friend, we invite you to come up with them and then to take the elements to your seat or to the side of the room and pray together as you receive them. It's been my practice to do this with my wife. Uh, every week I take the elements to her and I say, are you praying this week or am I? And then we pray. And when I pray, I always pray, God, we receive you into our bodies again because my body needs you. Wow, I got to the end. <laughs> I want to invite the worship team to come back up here. Guess what? John's in the room. 
I'm going to totally, I'm going to break the sermon right now. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear John. Happy birthday to you. All right, that's great. Thank you, folks. Um, <laughs> the love is real. We love our worship pastors. Um, we always close our sermons with some tips, something to read, pray, and do that we believe if you do them will help you put the Word of God into practice. I want to invite you to stand as you're able. If you're on the prayer team, now would be a great time to come forward and be ready to pray for people. The tips this week are, first, let's see, could we get one person over here from the prayer team, please? So nobody has to walk too far. Thank you, Sandy. Love you. Thank you, Sandy. Love you, too. Thank you, Justine. Um, here's the tips. Number one, read John 6. There's like beautiful mystery in John 6. Reading it will be a good experience for you. Number two, thank God for the bread of life and receive communion. I think today's a great day to do that. So is next week. Number three, bake or buy a loaf of bread and give it away. I have my mom's old recipes. She's passed on a decade ago or so. And I've got cranberry bread and zucchini bread. And I'm not going to do a yeast thing because that looks too complicated. I'm a simple person. And so, um, you know, and maybe I run out of time. Maybe I go buy a loaf of bread from a baker. Um, why give it away? Uh, what does Jesus do with the bread of life? He gives it away. When we give away the bread of life, we're being like Jesus. I want to encourage you folks. When we invite folks to Alpha, we are inviting them into eternal life. We're inviting them to an experience today in our actual real lives of the eternal. If you haven't invited anyone to Alpha, if you've been thinking about inviting someone to Alpha, do it. Pray and ask God. Look for the opportunity. I got one person who's been my mission to invite to Alpha, and I haven't done it yet, and I run Alpha, and it's this Wednesday. So, you know, uh, it's not too late. I'll be reaching out to her.